Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. This week, with political primaries on the horizon, we take a look at the ambitions and obstacles of Missouri's youngest political candidates, members of Generation Z. Plus, we look at how investment in mountain biking facilities has become a path to economic development for some Missouri communities. My name is Siggy Reese, and I am joined by my co-host, Teddy Mallorca. Teddy, how are you doing as we head into our penultimate summer episode? I'm doing well, Siggy. I'm excited for our uh, office potluck later today as we celebrate the summer beginning to come to a close. I know. It's so sad, the beginning of the end. But I am very excited to stuff myself with food because obviously who does not love food? Try to think of, try to think of the bright, positive things here instead of, you know, things ending. But... That's that's how I'm feeling. You're right. Have to find some silver lining where we can. And uh, yeah, very excited for the food myself. Couldn't have said it better. You ready to get into this week's headlines? Absolutely. Why don't you start us off? Sounds good. A report released Thursday morning shows that the U.S. economy shrank at an annual rate of 0.9% in the second quarter of 2022. That marks the second consecutive quarter of negative growth, following a 1.6% decrease in the first quarter. Some economists define a recession as two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth, but officials have yet to declare one. Additionally, the Federal Reserve Bank raised its benchmark interest rate by three-fourths of a percentage point Wednesday for the second month in a row. The aggressive rate hikes are meant to slow inflation, which hit 9.1% in June, well above the Federal Reserve's target of 2%. But there are concerns that raising interest rates could trigger a recession. Professional football is returning to St. Louis. After a three-year hiatus, the XFL is returning in 2023, and St. Louis is one of eight cities that will host a team. Names have yet to be announced for the teams, but some details have been revealed. Unlike previous iterations of the league, facilities for all eight teams will be based at league headquarters in Arlington, Texas. The games will still be played within the team's respective cities, with St. Louis playing at the Dome at America's Center. This will be the third launch of the XFL, which most recently operated in 2020, before the league was shut down for the coronavirus pandemic. That year, the St. Louis Battlehawks were consistently among the league leaders in attendance. Boeing union workers at three facilities in the St. Louis area plan to go on strike starting Monday. The 2,500 workers represented by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers voted to reject a contract offer from the plane manufacturer and go on strike. The union claimed that the offer wasn't equitable and said Boeing has stripped away a pension for its members. Boeing, meanwhile, said that its offer was competitive, with a 401k plan that was among the more lucrative plans in the country. Kansas City-area-based Compass Minerals announced an agreement with automaker Ford to supply lithium for the production of electric vehicle batteries. Per the non-binding agreement, Compass will start supplying Ford with battery-grade lithium in 2025. The company claims that it has access to 2.4 million tons of lithium brine at a Salt Lake City area facility. Compass had previously extracted other minerals from the site but hadn't found a use for the lithium. For Ford, the deal marks another step in its efforts to ramp up electric vehicle production. Our first story this week looks at Generation Z political candidates. Missouri Business Alert collaborated with Startland News for a story on Missouri's youngest generation seeking office. And Siggy, you talked to Chana Steinmetz from Startland News about that story. 
Yeah, so Chana and I had a really interesting conversation about her reporting on this story. Uh, It was really cool to hear her perspective after reading what she wrote. Glad to hear it. So what did you guys talk about? So we discussed what Gen Z candidates are doing to promote voting in their generation and what challenges they face, and how they go about appealing to older voters. Here's some of our conversation. So I just want to start out by talking a little bit about Gen Z, obviously, um, that is the generation that the story is based around. Um, Can you tell me about a few defining characteristics of the generation? Yep. So we went with the definition by Pew Research, um, which says that it's anyone born between 1997 to 2012. Um, Just some generalizations from what I learned in the reporting is that they are easier to reach by social media. Uh, Maybe that's because that generation grew up around it. Um, So it was more accessible to contact through social media than email or phone. Gen Z is the most diverse population between mixed races and um, children of immigrants. They have also been shown to be the most educated generation um, by Pew Research Center. And yeah, those could all have impacts on how they vote. So a lot of this story focused on the difficulties that Gen Z and younger candidates face um, when they're running for public office. Um, So to you, based on your reporting, what are the biggest challenges <laughs> these candidates have to face? Yeah, so there's really two major challenges that w- were brought up. The first one being lack of funding and without that funding or that network to funders, um, it can it can get pretty expensive and difficult to campaign. So Funding is is one of the issues that arose. And then two was backlash from either older politicians or older voters who say that someone who is in their mid-20s doesn't have enough experience, even if they've worked on campaigns for millennial boomer politicians. just people see their age before they see their experience or what they're really saying. So one candidate who you highlighted in the story was Justice Horn, who's running for Jackson County Legislature. Um, What did you learn about Horn and the other candidates you spoke with about their efforts to garner engagement and support from those older voters? Yeah, one thing I think is interesting is uh, they are very for door knocking. Um, You would think that because Gen Z is known to be on social media, most of the campaign would stay on social media, but um, yeah, they both talked about their experiences door knocking um, with Horn specifically. He mentioned going to a lot of apartments that do have, you know, a lot of young people who can't yet buy homes, but also, Um, getting some socioeconomic diversity. So um, people who rent, you know, maybe they can't afford a house yet uh, or whatever their situation be. But 
that opened up a new door to both young voters and maybe older voters who have not been reached out to. So as you mentioned before, Gen Z has the lowest voter turnout of any generation. Um, What did some of the candidates share about how they would combat that? So, you know, all these candidates want to energize the next generation because a big critique is, can you blame people for not voting if um, there's no one there who excites them or feel or who they feel represents them accurately. Um, so one kind of building that energy within your campaign and within your party, but then also you can build that energy, but then you have to meet those voters where they are. So maybe that means going to a farmer's market where a lot of young people go or in Kansas city, we have first Fridays, which is like, you know, artists and food vendors and music musicians get together. Um, and a lot of young people go to that. So um, Justice Horn talked about going out there and kind of building that presence um, to show that even though I think maybe to with some young people, it's like politicians are up here and I'm down here and we can't bridge that gap. So I think by going to those places and talking to them, that's how they bridge that gap to show like, we're both here. Well, that's all the questions I have. Thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. For our next story, we'll take a look at Missouri's mountain biking scene. Interesting, and what's going on with mountain biking? So over the past few years, a growing number of Missouri bikers have encouraged adding mountain bike trails and parks across the state. It typically takes a few hundred thousand dollars and a couple months to get these trails going, and they're helping to boost local economies. Where in Missouri is this happening? Small towns such as Ironton and Steelville have seen new visitors due to their trails, which opened last year. Here's reporter Skylar Rossi with the story. A team of teenage mountain bikers meet in Cosmo Park in Columbia on a mid-July evening for practice. The team, called the Como Composite Raptors, has about 45 members. Six six or eight kids, you know, in a line, and you'll hear, Sometimes it's around a corner, and that's how you know where other kids are at. Columbia is home to a number of trails suitable for mountain biking. The team also travels around the state for races. We were in St. Louis last weekend. Uh, Weekend before that, we were down at St. James. We'll go to at least five different places during the season. That's Bert Shaw, one of the team's coaches. He's been riding in Missouri since the 90s. He's noticed more people on the trails since the start of the pandemic. Mountain biking has definitely come back. It was really, really popular in the 90s, and then it kind of dwindled out and went away, and now it's definitely coming back. As an increasing number of people get into mountain biking, more bikers have been organizing to develop parks across Missouri. New trails have opened in small communities, including Eureka, Ironton, Steelville, and St. Joseph. Behind many of these new parks is a group called Gork Gravity, which biker Dave Schultz co-founded in 2019 to create trails across the state. After studying the development of bike parks in places such as Arkansas and Colorado, he's been working with local leaders to get parks built quickly. The trails are a fast and cheap way to drive economic impact in small communities, he says. With as little as a few hundred thousand dollars, cities can build a tourist destination and a backbone for business. That 
means that a community that is struggling can find a path to financial benefit, to new business structure, uh, to new school-related items in, in, in a short period of time. It's been the case in Ironton, a town of about 1,400 people. The first phase of Shepherd Mountain Bike Park opened last year with about $500,000. Since then, several new businesses have opened their doors and several new people have moved to town, says Lacey Kofer, the park's director. People are, especially since COVID, have been much more interested in doing outdoor activities and kind of, you know, getting away from the cities. But it is definitely just from what has grown and who has moved here and doing, you know, in-person interviews with people in the community, it can definitely be attributed to the mountain bike park. About 100 people use the mountain parks shuttle each week and a national competition called Big Mountain Enduro hosted an event there last year, which was a pretty big deal, Schultz says. It is the first national level enduro event to happen in the Midwest, to happen in our area right here. It's never been held before. Like they typically choose Utah, Nevada, Colorado for obvious reasons, right? Like big mountainous spaces. And they came to Missouri and people were in disbelief the first time. And not only they, they were they were in disbelief, but it was so exciting and done so well. They came back the next year. They were just here. Thousands of people, top pro teams, the fastest people in the world in Enduros were here in our state. In Steelville, a town southwest from St. Louis, local biker Jacob Beers started attending city council meetings in hopes of creating a new park. He formed an organization to advocate for the trail and has also reached out to other groups, including Gork Gravity. Together, they presented economic data from other cities with mountain biking parks to town leaders and raised just over $110,000 during the first year. We put together a pretty good you know, argument as to why we should do this. Um, and then we just started fundraising and speaking to local businesses, um, built a website, and made it possible for individual donors to become members. On its opening day, the park attracted more than 1,000 people, which was unexpected. Beers was hoping maybe 100 people would show. That was really, really cool event. Uh, the support from the community from all over the state and really all over the Midwest was overwhelming, really. We had no idea what to expect. Gork Gravity has helped to launch six parks in Missouri so far. And Schultz, who has volunteered up to a thousand hours per year since Gork Gravity launched, isn't stopping anytime soon. We've secured over 2,000 acres now to date across the state of Missouri uh, through this process. There will be perpetual free parks for the communities forever. With things winding down for this episode, it is time for our words of the week. Teddy, what are you starting us off with? This week, my word, or phrase, I guess, is flash flooding. Oh, yeah. I've seen pictures of the flooding in St. Louis over the last few days. What's the latest on this week's storm? Monday night into Tuesday morning, record rainfall battered the St. Louis region. During one six-hour span, nearly eight inches of rain fell on the area. Wow. What sort of damage did the area see from the flooding? Well, drivers were stuck on local roads and interstates, a Metro East levee was breached, a bridge collapsed, and over 400 people had to be rescued by fire departments across the area. Thousands of vehicles and homes were damaged. Yikes. And how'd businesses fare in all of this? Some of the businesses that closed because of the flooding have remained closed, and there's really no clear indication of when they will reopen. Does the city have an idea of the financial cost of the damages? 
A total estimate will likely take some time to determine, but some figures have already been disclosed. Among those is an estimate from St. Louis Public Transit System that the damages to trains and railroad tracks could cost 18 to $20 million to repair. With worries about future storms potentially exacerbating conditions, it will be a situation worth monitoring. For now, though, I'll turn things over to you for your Word of the Week. So my word this week is wage commitments. Ah, another phrase. So what are wage commitments? So when a company strikes a deal with a government entity for a subsidy or tax break on a new development, the government typically negotiates for certain guarantees, like wage levels and job creation. Okay, I see. What makes you bring it up this week? It was revealed that the state of Kansas did not secure wage or job commitments for a $4 billion Panasonic plant in the Kansas City area. Most of the $829 million incentive package is instead tied to capital investment benchmarks. Possibly making things worse is that a package centered around capital investment could incentivize automation at the expense of hiring more workers. Interesting. And what sort of ramifications could this have for the area? So there are a few worries. First, the lack of wage guarantees opens up the possibility of Panasonic hiring laborers at low wages, depressing earnings throughout the region. Second, without job commitments, Panasonic could opt for part-time workers or even contractors. There is also a worry that this could set a precedent for future companies looking to move to the region. For our closing thought, here's Dave Scholes of the mountain biking group Gork Gravity, again on the collective effort to develop bike parks in Missouri. There is no way this would happen without, I, I think I've worked with almost a thousand people to date over the last three years in various forms, architectural firms, park development, uh, volunteers, local businesses, local businesses that donated, um, professional trail building groups, uh, so there's a lot of people involved in this. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing music for this episode. For my co-hosts, Teddy Mallorca, editors Ian Laird, James Marshall, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy, I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.